Welcome back to today's episode of Enter the Metaverse. Uh, today we have special guest Mac McGregor on uh, our podcast. He is the author of the book Positivity, po sorry, Positive Masculinity Now. Uh, he's also uh, uh, a, a speaker and an activist for trans, trans male people, and also he is one himself. So welcome, welcome on in mac <laughs> thanks sean good to be here yeah so i just want to get a little backstory of uh like you, since you're an activist for for this 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 cause uh or movement i guess what you whatever what you want to call it um what 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 got you started like like your history here well, yeah, I have a really interesting, I've had a really interesting ride of life, I would say, yeah. Um, I was born in the Bible Belt in the South, and uh, in the first test of life, you know, when a nurse or someone looks at a baby in the hospital, uh, they write a letter on a piece of paper that follows you the rest of your life, and I call it the magic letter because it has many implications on one's life. Um, and in that first test of life, I got an F. <laughs> uh -huh. So I was born sex at birth female uh, at four years old with absolutely no exposure to the LGBTQ plus community. As a child growing up, I went to a Southern Baptist school and, and uh, very, um, you know, uh, just a very limited, uh, you know, view uh, in, in my community. Uh, with no exposure at four years old, I knew my given name didn't fit me and started changing my given name to a masculine name when playing with other kids. The word transgender had not even, it was not even around yet, hadn't, hadn't even uh, been invented yet. May I ask so, what sure. year? I was born in 1965, so I was four years old. <laughs> okay. So in 1969, I didn't know how to describe what I was feeling, but I knew that the expectations that were being put on me the gender expectations and the name i had didn't fit who i felt i was right mm -hmm. so um my grandparents helped raise me when i was young because my mom had me at 16 and um very grateful for them or i'd have probably been a foster kid but uh my grandfather and i used to watch a show together uh, a couple of shows we watched together every week, and one of them was Bonanza. These were old westerns, and the other one was uh, Gunsmoke. And uh, we watched these, you know, this was our little time together. And um, I told the kids that I was Matt Dillon, the sheriff in the show Gunsmoke, and I wore little cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and a little sheriff's badge. He was the sheriff in Gunsmoke, and uh, they portrayed him as a very good guy. And so uh, that's who I told the kids I was. So my grandparents thought it was very cute and kids came and knocked on the door and asked if Matt Dillon could come out and play. <laughs> now, fast forward, you know, um, when you are growing up in the South and, and you hit puberty, all of a sudden it's really cute if you're a tomboy when you're little and you hit puberty and people expect you to put on your dress and go to church and that still didn't fit me. I happened to also start martial arts at six years old. And when I was 17, I won the U.S. fighting title and a lightweight fighting title and started getting an opportunity to travel outside of the Bible Belt 
all over the United States and the world and start competing on a, on a much bigger scale, which gave me more exposure to the world, right? Outside of the little uh, limited uh, Bible Belt area I grew up in. And what I found out was there were a lot more LGBTQ plus people in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that helped me know I wasn't the only one because we didn't have the internet back then to find community. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that was helpful um, to my psyche to know I wasn't the only one. But I also had this really rare opportunity as an athlete that not many people get. And I happen to have really good genetics. And so I was able to compete at a world-class level until I was 39 years old which was the last time I competed in the world championships and I won two medals. Uh, and there were some young kids, 18 and 19 year old on the team, calling me the grandparent of the team. Cause I was the oldest one male or female on the U S karate team at the time. And I looked at my clock after doing well in that world championships and said, it's probably a good time to retire. So that allowed me to start working on going through medical transition. Um, and which, which I did, I, I uh, you know, within a couple of years, uh, started going through that process. I've been a teacher because of the martial arts most of my life, um, because one of the things about the martial arts is you learn something and you have to turn around and help somebody else with it, with what you learned, you know, that's, that's a lower rank than you, that's, that's newer at, at this than you. And so um, I had been teaching for a long time by that time. And so I was already working for women's rights as an athlete because the women, of course, in sports don't get any of the same anything <laughs> that, that the guys do right beside us. And so I was already an activist in, in the gender arena. And, and then um, people asked me in the community, they said, you have a lot of experience teaching and public speaking, and we need people with your experience to help explain this journey so that it creates more understanding. And so that put me on a quest to start uh, teaching about gender. Yeah, they, 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 um, it's described here that the people describe you as the gender sensei. Now, how did that name come about? Well, actually a friend of mine, after he heard me speak on gender and teach gender 101, uh, he knew my martial arts background and basically married what I was teaching then with my martial arts so in Japanese, sensei just means teacher. Mm-hmm. And they call it in Japan, the teacher of anything. It's not just a martial arts teacher. It's called sensei. Your piano teacher is also called sensei. It means teacher. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what I do. I, I teach about gender and gender socialization and social conditioning. And I, I mean, that's what really, really, that's what the book is about as well, is getting people to go back and look at the way we were socialized around what it is to be a man or what it is to be a woman and how we're supposed to carry these man masks or women masks and hold up to these certain standards and, and examine it as a conscious adult and see if it really still serves us well in our life. Yeah, I was going to get on a, a little discussion later down the road. I will I'll kind of like briefly mention it yeah. about these double standards when it comes to dating and um who should pay first meal i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna get into that right now but um but yeah growing up i can see how that especially without the internet without all this community right and all the, the connections that we have nowadays it must have been difficult 
And I don't even know all the stereotypes and bullying that you might have gone through. I don't know if that if that affected you at all. Um, but some people, some people are lucky and they don't, they don't have that type of, um, like, uh, like growing up that type of, uh, bullying. Yeah. Well, you know, going, uh, being in the, in the uh, Bible belt, what you're threatened by, by your church and community is the loss of community. If you are different in a way they don't approve of, whatever that may be. And so being a part of the LGBTQ plus community in the churches I grew up with and the Christian schools I went to, um, you either, they either wanted to pray it out of you. And if they couldn't, then they would ostracize you from community. So um, that's basically the threat. So I, I learned very young, you know, how tricky it was to navigate all of that. Yeah. Now, when when it comes to your book, yes. um, is it is it every chap? How many chapters are there, and are they based off of like some people like to write chapters of their lives? Sometimes they write chapters like they you have a really unique spin on things. So mm -hmm. please explain to me a little bit about your book and what it what it what it, what what is about. Sure, there are thirteen chapters, and most every chapter has some worksheets in the back of it to help each person be able to walk through some of the way they were socialized around gender because it's a little different for everyone. Um, but basically what this does is, is it walks you through the traditional masculine messaging. And I do do comparisons in here about feminine messaging as well. And it, it helps people see where and how that limited you in your life. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, I have one of my black belts who's an amazing martial artist she wanted to take martial arts when she was young and her parents told her that's not for girls. And so they wouldn't allow her to take any martial arts classes. Now she was born in the sixties, like I was. Um, she had to wait till she went away from her parents to college and her college offered a martial arts class and that's where she started. If she would have listened to that messaging and modeling, she would have never even explored it. Right, and she became an amazing martial arts and now a martial artist and now a martial arts teacher. Um, but that's a limiting message, right? And yes. masculine people face the same thing. You know, a lot of men are shamed if they're like really, when they're young, if they're really interested in cooking or interested in things that are traditionally looked at as feminine. Yeah, I was like, I was giving my dad an example as a gift to somebody who was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And he's really old fashioned and like, you know, men are men and girls are girls. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, I can't buy him flowers. That's too feminine. And I'm like, you can buy anybody flowers right. anytime he wants. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2022. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But, um, no, like, like we have masculine and feminine energies. Right. And of course you can have a more of a masculine style the way you dress or the way you act or it doesn't it doesn't it's not separated by gender in my opinion i agree and, and you know hopefully um we keep getting to more of an understanding of that and first of all gender is a spectrum anyway you know one of the things that i i teach is is there's a huge spectrum there's not just one way to be a man or one way to be a woman right Let's just take masculinity. Let's take cisgender, which means you you aren't trans, which means you were born with your body matching how you feel inside. 
the word cis in science means matching and the word trans in science means opposites. That's where those words came from. Um, But let's take all these, uh, you know, a bunch, line up a hundred cis men uh, and there will be many different ways to be masculine within those hundred guys, right? We have guys like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and we have Mr. Rogers. Those are extremely Mm -hmm. different ways to be masculine, right? (laughs) And yet they're both still valid ways to be masculine, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when it comes to identity and um, when, when, because like, you know, we're not all wearing name tags and stuff like that, right? Right. So like when, when a person is trying to identify somebody um, and they accidentally may, maybe get the gender wrong when they're identifying somebody, Mm -hmm. do you think it's, it's over the top to react? harshly to that or do you think that that they should like just give them like like um because not everybody's gonna know right right so like if they they say oh i identify as this after the fact that they get they got it wrong and then they continue to identify you wrong then i think that's a a little bit more of an issue oh i totally agree And, and you know one of the things as as someone who is I would say, an, you know, now, uh, you know, like looked up as a mentor or an elder in the community. Um, I talk to trans people and, and gender nonconforming folks all the time and say, look, we have to give people grace because a lot of folks also haven't been exposed to many people in the trans and gender nonconforming community. We can't expect them to come in knowing everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And, and not to look at the world like everybody's trying to offend us. I don't believe in that. Um, I believe most people um, are decent people. They just may not have been exposed and, and aren't used to the language, right? So it's, it's about giving them some grace. And um, yeah, and I just say, look, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Even we make mistakes within the community, especially if you've known someone for a long time and then they change their pronouns or they change their name. It's harder, I think, if you've known them before, right, for, for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about different, I guess it's genders, uh, and then they go, there's the cis, the cis you're saying, there's uh, there's trans, and then non-binary. Now, can you explain the difference between those? Sure. So gender in the world we've all grown up in, and it still is today, is is a binary system. That means it's 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 two sided. The way that they present it to us is you can choose male or female, and that's it, that there's no gray in the middle. There's no different. um, uh, It's not a spectrum. Like we understand sexuality now as a spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just gay and straight, right? There's this big spectrum to sexuality. Yeah. And we're we're hoping that we'll get to the place where more people understand that gender is like that as well. there are 60 variations of being intersex since they've undone the genome they've discovered this and what intersex means is someone that was born with some of both male and female sex i'm talking biological characteristics Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are 60 variations of how that happens that they've so far discovered which means gender is not black and white (laughs) there's a lot more nuance to it (laughs) that's really complicated yeah 
Um, yes. Now, when we talk, let's get into sexuality for a second. Like the, the identifying, because I've heard so many different types. And when you go on a dating profile, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of options. And sometimes they're missing options from other dating profiles and kind of get confused. Where do I fall in between? Or can you just fill out? There should be an other, you know, and you just fill out what you want to fill out, you know. Yeah. But but like I I yeah I've heard of um one where you're attracted to intelligence or like I don't know the chem yeah what do you call it sapiosexual yeah sapiosexual yeah it's an intellectual attraction it's like I have to be I have to have an intellectual connection for me to be attracted to that person. Okay. Now, when we're okay, there's I can't, we're gonna say when you're not in an open relationship, mm-hmm. polyamorous. Polyamorous. That's the one yes. I'm trying to think of. But like you're 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 just you're not really in a relationship. I guess no, like because when you're in an open relationship, I don't know what there. What's the difference between that and polyamorous? Is is there a difference? I'd be happy to explain that. Yeah, my wife and I are actually polyamorous. Um, so open relationship is more about, um, sex generally, like I'm, we have freedom. We've made an agreement to have the freedom to have sex with other people. Whereas mm-hmm. polyamory is more relationship based. It's more kitchen table based. It's more, I'm going to have an ongoing relationship with more than one person. And all of them are going to know about it. This is all in open communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even within polyamory, each person and and their main or primary partner or some people call it nesting partner have their own agreements um some partners want to meet the person before you would um begin a relationship you know you know get committed with anyone else uh and some you know they just have all kinds of varied ways that they manage it um you need a really good google calendar when you're polyamorous (laughs) (laughs) now Oh, this is funny now because like I'm looking back at when this this person I knew pretty well I thought she was cheating and I'm like I'm not gonna get involved with this but she was polyamorous and I'm like oh but I still wouldn't when I got involved anyway but yeah it was just interesting because I'm like I don't want to be the person that's gonna be fooling around with somebody who's is in a committed relationship in a relationship i'm like i don't want to be that person right but like now looking back at it because i kind of kind of knew a little bit about polyamorous but you kind of broke it down Mm -hmm. better for me so well you know i always ask i mean even within the poly community you know one of the smart things to do is to ask somebody what is your poly status or what what is your relationship status so that Mm -hmm. i'm because I don't ever want to be that person either. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I want to be very respectful of other people's relationships and commitments. And so um, it's really important to be able to clearly state. And if they can't clearly state where they are and where their partner is, then I would stay away from it as well. Yeah, it's a red flag when they can't make it abundantly clear. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Now, when we're talking about limiting beliefs and and um how how did like growing up especially the old the old-fashioned ways of men are men women are women right and we we kind of like teach our kids or 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 even our 
like we learn it from a family member that like, oh, you shouldn't do this, you should do that. It has very severe implications to that person. Yeah. Because we have to be open-ended with a lot of things. When we restrict people to things as well, like for example, you can't watch this show, they're gonna end up watching it anyway. <laughs> they're gonna go, they're gonna go to their friend's place and watch that show. Like they'd probably be more rebellious if you limit them versus if you let them do it, they just don't, they won't even want to do it anymore. They kind of lose the the yeah. sense of breaking the rules adventure, you know? Right. Especially so, teenagers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, I can't watch this. Well, I'll show you. Yeah. And um, so, I think that, yeah, like, like I said, like the, the dangers of restricting and limiting people's belief systems has a long-term effect. Sure does. And then what has, then what happens is, as we, you know, the highest rate of suicide is in middle-aged men. And one of the reasons I think that is, is because of this, this old traditional messaging, this old traditional masculine messaging, the first victim of it is young boys because young boys are taught right away, stuff your emotions down. You're not allowed to ever show weakness. You're not allowed to ever show emotion you, you know, it's weak. You shows weakness. If you ask for help, that kind of old crappy traditional messaging is just not healthy for anyone. We're all created to be beings with emotions, right? Yeah. We all have emotions and uh, we, and we need each other. We're also pack animals. So this ridiculous thinking that it shows weakness to collaborate and ask for help. um, It it becomes something that, that can be really toxic to someone's health. Of course. Now, it's hard I, to peel back the layers of all that, right? Yeah, it's true. Now, when it comes to messaging, because you're, I, I'm just reading here, messaging and socialization mm-hmm. with the gender, with the gender, uh, yeah, expression or ex- expectations. When yeah. it, uh, what's the difference expectations, there? Expectations, really. I mean, expression is more how you express your gender, like, like you were saying earlier, kind of the, your style, the way you dress, your mannerisms, um, that, that's more expression. Mm-hmm. But, but it's really important for us to understand the difference between socialization and social condition. Socialization is the process of learning to behave in a way that's acceptable in your society, wherever you grew up. And, and of course, people that grow up in different cultures, that can be a slightly different, right? But social conditioning, the difference is it's much stronger than socialization. It's the process of inheriting the norms, customs, and ideologies of your community. Um, And and there's a lot of pressure put on you to do that, right? Um, To keep you in your lane. And so that's where there's shame if you don't measure up to what you were taught is the right way to be a man or a woman. Or even, you know, the same thing with sexuality, right? If you if you were taught that being heteronormative is is what's acceptable, you're going to have that same shame if you feel differently in any way. Yeah, shame. When it comes to shame and guilt and all these low vibrational states, yeah. um, it really doesn't have to even take another person. Like, you can just be in your own shame and guilt for just being, like... Like you could just feel it and it could consume you, you know? 
And that's where self-love comes into play. You have to strip and separate yourself from the shame and guilt and be like, I am not, I haven't done anything wrong. Right. This is very important for people who are listening, who are feeling the the shame and guilt. I haven't, you know, killed anybody or done anything that would hurt anybody. So you need to realize that there's nothing wrong with you. And even if you're not, even if this relates to the gender conversation, anybody's experiencing shame and guilt, because I felt so shameful and guilty for something that was not even a problem. Nobody was caring. And like, you have to have that self-love and just realize, like, it's really hard to train your subconscious. Mm -hmm. But once you get to it, and then you just be like, I'm I'm just, I'm just, just doing myself. I'm doing me. Well, yeah. And surround yourself with people who support authenticity. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important um, factor for all of us living in a way that we can thrive in life is that our inner circle of people, our partner, our friends, our close friends, you know, I want those people to be folks that support and want me to be able to be my authentic self. And I want to be that kind of friend to them too, right? yeah i'm in i'm in a m- many communities i'm supposed to be going well supposed to actually i will be going just having a little bit of a financial financial crisis right now I'm going to costa rica to go <laughs> go to um meet these lovely supportive community uh that i met and i am excited i'm like i'm just no stress i'm just gonna be focused on having fun and i'm like that's the kind of support it took me a while to find this community it's not like it's just a piece of cake. Like it, it oh, takes, yeah. it takes a lot of trust and um, you have to build that trust. I, I totally agree. Yeah. It's so important. That's one of the reasons that when I started this whole thing and where the book really came from is I started a, a masculine men's discussion group because what, what spoke to me was I saw the me too movement happening, right? It was in its prime. And I didn't see very, I didn't see many men involved in the conversation. This was all about the masculinity and about the patriarchy, but very few men were involved in the conversation, except a few men that were just fighting back saying, you're trying to take our manhood away. Um, You know, a lot of men, men weren't talking about how this limiting thinking has hurt us too, and how we could all be a part of creating a healthier way forward for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what made me want to start this, this project and start this discussion group. And I started this with a friend of mine, and we just wanted to get men together of all different backgrounds, different ages, different life experiences, and talk about how, these, how this limiting thinking has affected us to, first of all, admit and heal from that, and then how can we all work together to walk forward in a healthier way so that we don't pass this crap down anymore? You know, this limiting, these limiting ways. And that's how the whole thing started. And then the book came from the lesson plans we created for, we, will, we would pick every month, we'd have our discussion group, a different topic. And the book kind of came from that, from what we've learned and the discussions we've had in the group. Now, is there a chapter or even a section about stereotypes and and how how some could be true, some could be 
false, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, there, you know, there, all the jokes like, uh, you know, um, you remember the book, I don't know if you remember, but it was a very popular book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I could, you I know, it, talking but... about, it, it was about the way men communicate different than women, basically, is they, you know, okay. communication styles are very different, right? Um, and of course, you know, we talk in the group, like I, I ask all the time, how would you define masculinity if you were not allowed to speak of a body part? And I let people sit with that and everything somebody has ever come up with, like a guy would say, well, men are more uh, mechanically minded. And then somebody in the group would say, yeah, but I have an aunt Sue who can, she's the one in the family that can fix everything. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So there's always something that debunks it. Right. <laughs> because even if something, a stereotype is, we may consider it the norm, there's still a lot of people it doesn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> It's true, <laughs> yeah. because so, you know, like uh, you know, just because men are not naturally like more muscular, and you can't talk about right. body parts, right? You're like, oh, well, I'm more the like you said, like mechanically. That doesn't that doesn't fit always to the male. Yeah, well, even if you say physically strong, because we didn't say a specific body part, mm -hmm. then you look at well, what about Ronda Rousey and Serena Williams? I mean they're extremely strong athletic women right yeah yeah <laughs> so, so there's always an ex you know uh, some exceptions to the <laughs> it's not that women can't be strong right <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah but yeah that's a, that's a good question to ponder over now i wanted to get into a little bit about the stereotype and the double standards of what we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. um like the stereotype of who should pay on the first date? Now, I think it's more complicated than that question, to be honest, but it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be very simple. Like, first of all, if, okay, it doesn't matter who asks who out, to be honest, it doesn't matter. No. If the guy asks a girl out, they say, oh, this is what I'm getting from the argument earlier that I had on like on Instagram. They're like saying, oh, if the guy asks the girl, he should pay. I'm like, Why? what i mean maybe if she's if 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 like okay we understand he's trying to make a good impression mm -hmm. right and he 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 took her out of her day-to-day -day, uh routine to go on a date but she agreed to go on the date right. so it's an agreement now if the date went well okay mm -hmm. would it matter who paid now if he didn't offer to pay or if he didn't pay, because apparently he paid half in this situation. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, he paid his half. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I think it's fair, yeah. in my opinion. I do too. Yeah. If he offered to pay for the whole thing, that's also completely situational. It's, it's fair. Yeah. But if he offered and you didn't offer, I think it's also fair. Whatever, it's, it's situational. But it, it, when you when you're making a big deal about who pays versus yeah. the experience of the date, and then 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 they're arguing in the comments. They were arguing in the comments about chivalry is dead. I'm like, is shiver? Give me examples of shiver chivalry other than the form of payment. <laughs> because well, yeah, you could go to opening the door or walking on the street side of the sidewalk, and you know to to protect 
um, yeah. person. Yeah, I mean, those are chivalrous things, right? Um, yeah, like just matters, I mean, overall matters. That's right. It's just basic like, matters, right? You know, like yeah. that. Like a lot of people don't even have that, but like when they do show that they're a, they're a nice person, yeah, and they they pay for their half. Is it a deal breaker? Like if it is for that person, and if I'm going on a date and that's a deal breaker. Well, they're not a real one and I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's like they weren't a real one and I'm going to move on. It's that's a big red flag. If that's a big deal for you. I agree. I think the, I think the deeper thing to think about is what a lot of women have felt is that if the man pays, he expects something. Mm-hmm. So that's where like, it, it's kind of like, you know, if you borrow money from your parents, a lot of people are expected then to do a lot of, you know, maybe work around the house for your parents or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's expectations that come with it, is my point. Yeah. Um, And so historically, I think the attachment to worried about the expectations that come with that um, is is where that becomes, you know, where where women don't want to be expected to perform anything if you offer to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody should be expected to do anything if you offer, <laughs> you know, if you offer to buy somebody a meal, it should be, you just want to buy them a meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially like you said, on a first date, you don't know each other well enough to, to expect anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like on the first date, it's just, it's just traditional in, in the, in the community, in the, in the, is it the community? What I'm thinking of, uh, culture in society, in society the culture yeah, yeah society yeah. culture that yeah. it's just like it's just normal throughout history that the man pays right but it's also a double standard and it's it's like times have changed in my opinion like yes. it's it's not the norm anymore it doesn't mean that he's never going to pay and it's always going to be 50-50 it's like right. it's not written in stone that that's the only way it's going to be it's no. you don't know that person well enough. That's right. To, to I mean, make yeah. times have changed. I mean, women women have you know more women are in the workforce. First of all, a lot of that came around when most women weren't in the workforce, right? Um, it, it was a different when this when this started. It was a very different culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, like so. like I was good. I made a joke. I made a little joke. I was like, if I made that much on OnlyFans, <laughs> yeah. If I made as much as much money as a woman and only fans that i pay for everything you know it's just, right but no it's a joke of mine and just, and yet women still compared to uh, you know overall compared to men don't make as much still today um yeah of course if you're talking a woman of color it's even less and we could go on and on so i mean mm-hmm. i think it's more of an agreement that the two people make and what they're comfortable with i don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it yeah, there is no right or wrong. And it's it feels like it feels like when 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 men get attacked for not making the move of paying for the meal, it's like I, I just feel like it's such it's such an attack on, on a male on the male uh gender as a yeah. double standard. And it just it is. Yeah, I agree. My, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so, not like we can't afford it. And it's not like we're it's not like uh we're trying to pin anything on the women you know for for like uh um he paid half so i'm just 
He paid yeah. his half, and it's not yeah. written in stone. He's going to do that all the time. And I don't know. Again, here's the interesting thing. I think it comes back to the everyday consent issue. We're not used to like having these conversations. And, and, you know, that's the thing is people need to get used to what are you, you know, saying if you ask somebody out on a date, what are you comfortable with? I would like, if I, if I was this, I'm going to role play. If I was the person mm -hmm. asking someone out on a date, I, you know, I invited you out. I would like to treat you to dinner. Is that okay with you? Are you comfortable with that? Yeah. That's a consent conversation. And if they say they're not comfortable with that, they want to pay their half. And I would say, fine, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. You know, but not be offended because they wanted to pay their half. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Like when it comes to, when you're, it's like, okay, well you can just go. <laughs> then it's just like, yeah. I'll pay for it, but I don't want to see you again. Like, that's like, that's how I, I would look at it. But yeah, the consent part for sure. Yeah, you need and that. I mean, and I mean, now you know, at days two, we have same-sex couples. Where does that come in? Who pays? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Who pays? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. you pay. No, you pay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's funny. It is. That's funny. I should have. I should have posted that. Oh my god. <laughs> Give me some ideas here. And they they may they may uh, of course the the critics may say the more butch person pays <laughs> in the same-sex couple. Or, or you have a third <laughs> wheel. If a third wheel, if there's two women and then the guy play, <laughs> no, who knows? Yeah, I think it is, you know, it is about, so, you know, I teach all the time that consent, consent is a big part of what I would call positive masculinity. And, you know, when I was growing up, nobody was having these conversations with us and consent is about a lot more than sex. Some yes. people think, some people think that's the only time there's a consent conversation. No, I should ask consent if you and i are hanging out and i take a picture and want to post it to social media i should ask you before i tag you and post a picture of you on social media that's everyday consent right? yeah so there's a lot more to consider than just the consent around sex and now um kind of lost my train of thought when it comes to consent now oh it was i know couples that do these like because they're usually busy. These, this is an example of a couple. They have like these little meetings. They like schedule a meeting with their wife because they're always busy. And then they just, and they just basically go over. They have pure honesty. It's unconditional honesty mm -hmm. where they say like, oh, I kind of felt this at this time. Could you do this instead? It's, it's having that communication, right. you know, and understanding that keeps the relationship strong. It is, it's so true. And I like that you said they make an appointment to have these conversations because one of the things I even teach around everyday consent is it's always, if you're going to have especially a difficult conversation, you know, or a really deep, it's, I was going to say, it's always good to ask the person, is this a good time to have this, you know, serious conversation with you or would, or would there be a better time that we can set? Because you, you know, you need to know, do they feel rushed right now? Or is there a lot on their mind? That's an everyday consent question. And you're yeah. going to get, get better results in those kinds of conversations if you give them that time of pre preparation, right? To know if it's a good time for them. Now, in your book, um, could you explain a little bit more about maybe what, like a summary of a chapter or something? Yeah, like I have a chapter about uh, cultivating healthy masculine friendships. I think one of the things from the old traditional messaging that keeps men from having 
you know, really close, healthy friendships is that the old messaging is that guys are always in competition for king of the hill for to be the best. You got to, you know, constantly strive to be the best at whatever you do, which means you have to take others down sometimes to be the best, you know, instead of collaborating, we're always competing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that I think keeps us from having closer friendships as well as the, the not talking about our emotions and showing weakness to one another, right? So most guys talk about work and sports. They don't talk about what's going on inside, how yeah. they feel about anything. And uh, that's something we can actually learn from women because women tend to have friendships that give them a lot of emotional support, whereas men a lot of times don't, which is also one of the con contributors, I think, to men's mental health issues as they get a little older is because they don't have that support of those friends where they can talk about real stuff with and another stigma for men is oh i don't need counseling right because that's that's shows weakness yeah exactly. and and the weakness thing is just the pride ego thing yes because like a lot of a lot of these 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 uh um stereotypes are pride ego for both men and women i think oh totally yeah, they are. And but but they're also it's it's called performative masculinity. It's what we're taught that we're supposed to hold these man masks up. And one of the man masks is uh, one of the common ones is that I have it all together. I, I don't need any help. Right. Mm -hmm. I've got it. I'm tough. I'm strong. I can handle it. all. And um, that that is where that comes into play. Right. It's hard to put that mask down because we're we're kind of taught that that shows weakness and and so yeah that limits us and mm -hmm. uh and i all it also separates us right from so much in life from getting help when we need it uh from having closer friendships and you can go on and on <laughs> yeah i have a chapter also about the lgbtq plus community and how there is uh the patriarchy and toxic masculinity have affected are alive and well in that community and have affected that community as well. Um, I have a chapter on the masculine career and, uh, you know, the striving to always do and do uh, instead of being content and happy with just being. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Masculinity through change is another chapter. As we go through life's changes, uh, whether it be you're getting older or, you know, you go through a divorce or somebody in your close inner circle passes away or gets really sick. Uh, it's about navigating those changes. And again, um, a little harder for masculine people because we don't tend to communicate well when we're, when we have something heavy like that going on, right? A lot of the ways guys handle a breakup uh, in a relationship is they get drunk. <laughs> Not a healthy way to handle it, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, that's why substance abuse uh, becomes a big issue because masculine people aren't really great at communicating about those things. Uh, so there's a chapter about that. There's a chapter about how to be a masculine feminist, that if we're secure in who we are, we have no, we should have no problem supporting women. Yeah, like when, when it comes to femini feminist, feminist and feminicity, um, like I know there's different, types of it and the the true supposed to be meaning is supposed to be equality in my right 
in my opinion. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, equality. I'm equity. Yeah. Yeah. So like back to my situation I was talking about 50 50 that's equal <laughs> but you know, that's just my my take on it but um, <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know there there's also a chapter in there that talks in depth about the the different you know about the spectrum of masculinity mm-hmm. uh, and you know one of the quotes from the book is uh, that one of the key ways to creating a, a new healthy model of masculinity, is in allowing folks the freedom to define what their own masculinity is and how they will express it. And this means embracing many variations of masculine ways of being. Okay. Can you give me an example? Well, I, you know, like I did with Fred Rogers and The Rock. I mean, you know, can, can you imagine in the, in the world I grew up in, you know, it was all about being a man's man. It was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was the John Wayne, it was the, it was the, you know, you had to be able to, to be tough and mm-hmm. show strength all the time. And Fred Rogers was a, a very intellectual, first of all, guy and very tender. He wasn't, you know, what you'd think of when you think of the rough, tough guy, right? <laughs> he never yeah, was. Yeah, like the alpha male, tough guy guy. Right. And so I'm, I'm sure he got picked on as a kid. Um. And so e- even within the masculine world, men police each other around your manhood, you know, and, and it's a common thing. You know, if they, I've, I've heard it so many times, a young boy shows some tenderness and he's called a wuss or he's, you know, made fun of because he's not being tough. And so, you know, that's hard. Even within the masculine world, we're not accepting of different forms of masculinity. And we're, I'm hoping that that changes um, because we need more guys that are, we also need guys that are intellectual. We need guys that are tender and not afraid to show that, right? Yeah, I think it's more acceptable, of course, with all these communities and the internet connecting us, but the internet is like positive and negative at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that like those people who are attacking other people have a lot of insecurities about themselves right which don't they don't understand they just kind of like they just don't it's not a it, it, some people just have a hate and some people just don't understand and that yeah. and then the people we're trying to convince and to is to get those people to understand and maybe once we grow those numbers up then the people who hate will be like, oh, nobody else is hating. I guess I'm going to stop hating now. And then they shift. That's right. You know, it's yeah. it, it takes one person at a time. If you change one person a day, that's that's impressive. Yes, it is. And that's the whole thing. It's about opening hearts and minds to be able to see, you know, a little larger <laughs> of a picture here. Yeah. <laughs> and that takes time. And it really depends, like even within our own country, even within the United States, I often say, of course, our country is huge comparatively to a lot of countries, but I often say we have like five or six countries within our country because every different region you go to, for instance, your gender expectations can change, right? I'm living in Seattle and it's very different here from where I grew up down in the South. It's extremely different. Um, One of the things I thought was so interesting when I moved to Seattle is I saw men walking around town you know you're used to seeing women walk around with their infants strapped to their chest like wrapped 
with yeah, the material, yeah. you know, how they wrap the baby to their chest. Mm-hmm. And here I've seen many men like that. Yeah. Showing their nurturing sign. I would have never seen that where I grew up. That would have been ridiculed. Mm-hmm. So even a father being nurturing to their own child in some of these environments is ridiculed because that's a woman's place. Right. And that's yeah. ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Dads are allowed to be nurturing as well. You know? Yeah. It, it shows that you can support a child and be there. That's right. Versus like, like do your own thing, kid. <laughs> Just like, yeah. you know, like, go talk yeah. to your mom. No, that's not how it works. No, no. Yeah, it, it creates distance, right, within the relationship of the father and the kids. And that's just, it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now, is I I know you're in a lot of different communities, and we could yes. probably explore all of them. But is there anything else that you want to want to cover before before we head out here? Well, you know, when you were asking me about the book, uh, here's one of the things that I think is such a great takeaway. Um one of the things I talk about in the book is that the old masculine messaging kind of, it supports and teaches masculine people to be rigid and stoic. You've heard of that. I'm sure, you know, the guy is stoic. He doesn't show a lot of emotion. Right. And, you know, I related that. I I read a book a while back called um, uh, emotional agility by Dr. Susan David. And this, um, as a, as a professional athlete, this spoke to me. And when I think of agility as an athlete, that's healthy, right? When you're agile and flexible, you have less chance of injury. When you're rigid as an athlete, you're going to get injured much easier. So that's really easy for most people to understand in their mind, right? Rigidity as an athlete is nothing to celebrate, but it's also nothing to celebrate emotionally. So one of the quotes I have from the book is rigidity is nothing to celebrate the ability to stay soft and agile with all the adversity that we face and walk in our authenticity is rare. Soften. It's really important sometimes. And I think with all the messaging that most of us as masculine people have grown up with and, and have had, we have to remind ourselves that all the time being rigid is nothing to celebrate. Yeah. Being, being, you have to soften up and let go and just let go. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being open. Right. Yeah. I I wanted to get, actually, I want to talk about one other subject that I kind of forgot about. Um, the types of masculine and men, the types of the, I forgot what male archetypes, like the Sigma male, Mm -hmm the alpha male and i don't know the rest i forgot the rest <laughs> yeah yeah well, well the way i approach it i don't the way i go into it in the book is the common man masks um because you know i think that's just a, an easier way for people to understand and i'm gonna go to let's see i'm gonna go to it in the book here um and by the way just to get a little plug this book is has only been out three months and um, it's already been the number one new release in men's health and in gender studies um, and sociology as well. Um, but the common man masks that people wear, uh, the positive mask, 
So the guy that just is that always happy-go-lucky, never admits he's going through anything, never admits that, you know, when there's people, the, this that's a mask that any, of course, gender can wear and any of these, any gender could wear. Yeah. And the next one is the strength mask, the always tough guy, the, you know, no pain, no gain, right? <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that, <laughs> you know, and no matter what is happening, I, I'm, God will never give me anything I can't handle type, no pain, no gain. I'm, I'm going to stay strong. Um, the intellectual mask, the intellectual mask is another, uh, it's another basic, you know, it's the guy, I'm the smartest guy in the room and I'm always going to have to let everybody know that kind of the know-it-all, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, makes them feel more secure and more of a guy if they can just kind of use their intellect to put other people down. The grumpy old man mask. I'm always just a <laughs> grump. I'm a grouch, you know. <laughs> I'm just going to complain all the time, you know, get off my lawn kind of thing, kids. Yeah, my, my father. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We all have a relative that has that mask. Yeah. And the self-sufficient mask is another one that I think um, is extremely common. And, and, and that is the person that wants to prove they can do it alone. They don't need any help all the time. Uh, and then there's the Don Juan masks, of course. You know, the ladies' man, the guy that's always trying to, um, you know. Like the pickup artist kind of. Yeah, that. totally. Yeah, prove their prowess. But it goes into all the different. Uh, that whole chapter goes into the masks and we have some exercises in there. Uh, and what's interesting about masking is that we wear different masks a lot of times, depending on who we're with. For instance, if we go back and visit our folks and our, our family, we'll put on a certain mask because they expect certain things from us. We go to work, we may wear a different mask. We hang out with our buddies, you know, that mask can change again. So yeah. it's just about being conscious of, what mask am I wearing? And is this serving me well? Yeah. And being authentic throughout all the masks that you wear is important. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, of course, we do have to, uh, there are certain ways to behave when we're in a work environment, right? That, mm -hmm. <laughs> that wouldn't be a, as, you wouldn't act the same as if you were hanging out, you know, in a club with your friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. But it, like you said, it's about, um, it's about being conscious and authentic within it. Yeah. Now, do you want to plug your uh, book again and where they can find you and your book? Sure. Um, Positive Masculinity Now, available on Amazon in Kindle and in print. And then uh, next year, early next year, it'll be available in audio version as well. Um, and uh, that's available, like I said, on Amazon, but you can also go to our my website, positivemasculinitynow.org. And we just opened up an essay contest I'd love to share with your listeners. And this is our first annual essay contest. We're very excited about it. And anyone of any gender is allowed to participate in this essay contest. And we have different age categories from 11 years old all the way up through adults. And it is a writing an essay about a positive masculine role model in your life and how they've impacted your life. All right. Uh, you said the audiobook comes out next year? Yes. Sometime? Next year, yeah. I, I, I'm more of an audiobook person, but I'll probably end up getting the book as well. I like to follow along. Yeah. So it's nice that's to cool. highlight I it. I do that too. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you can find us at the-meta-verse.com. 
uh, find this this video of the podcast on Spotify. You can find the podcast also on Apple Podcasts. I think it's Apple Podcast. They keep changing the name. And then there's also Google Podcasts and a whole bunch of other ones that they just get re-uploaded to. So you can <laughs> find me there. Um, but it's been a swell talking to you, Mac. And just stick around after I've finished recording here. Sure. And uh, catch you guys later. Peace, Sean.